Welcome to Bible of a Bruise. Deep thoughts fermented over time and text. We come tonight, we've got George. Yo. Gumby. Hey, what's up? My wife, Kendra. Hello. <laughs> Kelvin. Good evening. Mike. Hi there. And our special guest of the night, Stephanie Kilau. Hello. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Thanks for California. Tonight we're going to be going over vegetarianism and taking care of the environment as Christian stewards. So our first beer of the night is going to be Sixth City Out from Collision Bend Brewery. Collision Bend Brewery, by the way, has been rated number one brew pub in the United States, coming right here from Cleveland, Ohio. There you go. So, Stephanie, these yeah. these guys don't know anything Thanks, about sir. you, so please fill them in. <laughs> I've been boasting about you for some time. Yeah, well, I'm... Um, so in a nutshell, I'm a former corporate marketing warrior in Silicon Valley. So I worked at companies um, from like NVIDIA to Microsoft. Um, I was a, a founder of a startup myself, and then I moved on, um, kind of left that, jumped into politics for a year and was a delegate for Bernie Sanders in 2016. Woo-woo. And that, yeah, that, that just kind of like, I mean, it was like, like, that just shifted all my DNA just to see how like things really operate and stuff. Mm. So that got me really more involved in, in the, the subject of climate change. Um, and I had been a food blogger and a healthy living blogger since like 2005. Um, so I'm like one of the OG bloggers from back in the day. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so then after that, like I spent like half a year, almost half a year just studying the factory farm system because Wow. I thought I was educated about food, and then I studied the the factory farm system more from like the the business model and its interaction with other industries and stuff. And it, it was mind blowing to me, like how much stuff is out there that most consumers don't know about the factory farm system, and then how it it ties into climate change, um, and the earth and stuff. But th- this one industry, just one industry, is causing the most destruction of any industry on the planet to human health, to climate change, the environment, Hmm. um, oceans, it's killing everything. And so why it isn't a bigger subject, you know, just kind of blew my mind. So what I'm trying to do, so now I am kind of moved on. I've started this new initiative called the Flexi 21. Um, And I have a new thing too. I was going to launch today on Earth Day, but it's called the Culinary Climate Action Project where it's um, an education and advocacy group to, to teach, to, you know, educate consumers basically what's happening um, with the food system related to climate change and the environment, but not just all the like, okay, this is all the disaster, but here's what all of us can do individually and collectively um, to, help, to help stop this train wreck that's happening right now. And so, you know, I, I like to do this too to come from a place of not just here's here's all the bad things happening, but what can we do? Because I'm about action. So it's one thing to like, okay, doom and gloom, but what what can we do? And there's plenty of things we can do, um, even just from simple our simple daily choices. But we have to do something now. We we don't have 50 years. We've so got 10. this, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and you, I, you know. 
I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> I, I have a few questions for you, um, but if you don't mind, first, can we can we do a first uh, first sip here? Oh yeah. If you don't mind. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. What do you guys think? Absolutely. <laughs> so I so, I did take a sip already. I'm really liking it. I'm not a big dark beer guy typically, but <laughs> um, <laughs> actually, Gumby, I'm getting closer to the microphone for your orders. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and. Um, but this one's really good. It's really smooth. Has a large head on it, which was tough to get past. But once you're into the the brew, I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, I've I've already gone to collision with uh, with my one buddy Brian several times. Um, have not had a bad experience yet. The every uh, beer has been just smooth. The food's been phenomenal. Um, the culinary wise, they're just they're on the edge. They're mm. very good. They're very good. They have a lot of vegetarian choices. Great Bloody um, Mary. <laughs> apparently, they have really good Bloody Marys. <laughs> and uh, But, yeah, every single beer. The, my favorite beer they will not give me to export, unfortunately, because they brew in small batches. I really wanted to have that one here tonight, but they still mm. will not let me export it. <laughs> oh, yeah, there, there are some that they will not let out to breweries, man. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. In fear of somebody will copy it, or I can't tell you the reason. I just yeah. know that there are some yeah. that they would not let me take out, yeah. they, and, and they, that's not just for this one either. That goes for most of them. Yeah, okay. it's also they, worth mentioning that uh, um, for being a dark beer and being a local brewery, I feel like um, most of the local uh, breweries making dark beer are really usually fairly strong. This is what you said, five percent. Yeah, five yeah. ABV. Yeah, so it's not really. It doesn't have much bite to it, really. So I don't know, but it makes it smoother. It's very smooth. And considering for me, uh, when I look at dark beers, I always think of first beer comes to mind as Guinness Stout. So that kind of turned me off to a lot of dark beers. But, man, this is really good. It's smooth. Uh, yeah, it has a, a pretty thick head starting out. But um, get past that, it, it, it's uh, smooth going down. Good tasting. Mm-hmm. It really is. I highly recommend going down to the restaurant. It sits right on the river. So beautiful scenery. Um, everybody there has been more, Where is than, this more than hopeful. Oh, it's it? The location? Oh, it's down on the east bank of the flats. The river that okay. caught on fire. <laughs> <laughs> because of chemicals. Well, since, we're, <laughs> since we're talking about pollution. It's been a great, great brewery. Every visit's been great. So going back to, uh, going back to uh, Stephanie's comments, um, this stuff's often locally sourced. So... <laughs> That's good. <laughs> it's our MO for this podcast. <laughs> so now, Stephanie, you said you spent the last year, year and a half studying lo- um, uh, local, or sorry, not local farms, but the farming and beef industry. Yeah, the, the factory farm system overall and, and basically how it relates to climate change, environment, and learning um, learning more about the business model. You know, because that, that's where, you know, my background being marketing and a startup founder, like, I, I'm curious about the business, like, how does it work? How does it relate to other industries? And to find out, like, it ties into big pharma. Yeah. It ties into big oil, actually, too. Um, just all this intersection of business. And then, you know, with the with the government and our policies, um, like a lot of you might have heard, you know, Bayer and Monsanto, our Justice Department just approved the merger of Bayer and Monsanto. Well, so, I'm, not, I'm not familiar. Can you help bring me up great. to speed? Okay, so are you familiar with Monsanto? No. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I am. Yeah. Yeah. Some are, some are not. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've heard of it, but to elaborate on it, I can't. 
Yeah, so uh, Monsanto is the largest um, producer in the United States of GMO crops and uh, seeds and pesticides, primarily soy, corn, uh, and alfalfa. And those are primarily the, the, the crops that are grown to feed livestock. So Monsanto has basically become the face of GMOs. So there's a lot of debate on GMOs, and that in itself could be a podcast in itself. Sure, <laughs> yeah. Bear, Bear is the largest. Um, now Bear is like you know the baby aspirin company. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. So a lot of people don't know that they have this whole division on G- with GMO seeds and pesticides. Yeah. So they really? are like one of the largest companies in Europe. Yeah. So they're like this. So then you're like. Wait a minute. Why does the baby aspirin company have a GMO pesticide division, you know, within it? So this is kind of the makeup of conglomerations nowadays, right? They have their their hands in like everything. But then it's kind of scary to think that a pharmaceutical company is also tied to a pest, you know, pesticides and genetically modified foods, right? So it's so so they're one of the largest in Europe. So they decided to come together and create a mega merger, which will make them the not not only the largest supplier of GMO seeds and pesticides in the world. They will control over little over 25 percent of the global market in seeds and agro pesticides. So one corporation will control one fourth of the food system. Yeah. So, <laughs> wow. so that's something too where a lot you know people just don't think about because we we don't we it's it's such this it's like an octopus with all these arms right and we don't we don't necessarily see the connections but you know I tell people when you if if in particular if you're if you don't like Monsanto like as a business um, which a lot of people don't um, every time you eat meat dairy or eggs from that was raised in the factory farm system. You are putting money into the pocket of Monsanto because their cash cow is literally cows and mm-hmm. hogs and chickens. So that, if if the the best way to like shrink that company is to just stop stop eating any product raised in the factory farm system. Yeah. So when I talk about like meat and going plant based and stuff like that, I I don't I don't get into the issue of whether eating meat is a moral issue or not because that that could go on. For days and the <laughs> vegan activists, you know, are doing that. What my main thing is looking at it in terms of our alignment. Like, are you living in alignment with your core values and beliefs? So when we look at the factory farm system, and before we even get to the treatment of animals, there's all these other issues that you can look at where you start to like, okay, this is now conflicting you know, with some of my values. So like for me, some of my top values are kindness, compassion, equality, and fairness. Mm-hmm. So when I start looking at meat and how it's raised and the business of meat and dairy and eggs, I, you know, when I'm learning this, I'm like, okay, I'm not for this at all. Like I don't stand for this. This is not, this is not going with my values. So when people ask me, why did I go plant-based? You know, it's, it's a year and seven months now. Um, it wasn't one specific thing. It was I want I want to live in alignment with my values. And when I looked at the factory farm system in me, none of it fit in my values. Wow. So and then there was the issue of health. 
So then I was like, you know what? Okay, I'm just going to have to figure out the health thing because I personally can't live in this unalignment anymore because it, it causes me emotional pain now. Because now, now I know. And so this is kind of one of the drawbacks of being educated, right? When you see, and then, then we get to how the animals are treated, and you see the videos of how factory farms actually operate. It, it, you can't unsee that. You can't not know it doesn't exist anymore. And so then it, it comes back to like an individual choice of are you okay contributing to this? Mm. Right? And here's another thing. I, and you may be okay with that, but then own it. Like, you know, I realize for my health I need this and also economics. So this goes back into a big thing of um, like with climate change, you know, in, in Pope Francis's encyclical about climate change, one of the big highlights that he points out is that climate change disproportionately affects the poor. And so when we look at that, the factory farm system disproportionately affects the poor. Because when you look at where these factory farms are mainly placed, they're, they're close to poor, poor communities of color. And so when you just look at that and some of the, the things that they do and the lack of regulation that goes in managing, you know, the manure lagoons. Like, first of all, most people don't even know what a manure lagoon is. Oh, I do. And so, please elaborate, uh, please elaborate on that because I just saw like three frowns that then didn't, didn't realize what you said. <laughs> manure lagoons? Okay, so um, here's an example. So North Carolina is one of the, the biggest um, hog producers in the United States. So in a in a hog um, um, facility, actually, let's let's start with what the definition of a factory farm is. So in our government, there's a classification called animal feeding operation. So within the United States, there's 450,000 animal feeding operations. So that um, can range from one to you know whatever exponential animals. So then the next classification of an AFO is called a concentrated animal farm operation. So the definition of that is defined by 1,000 animal units, which the, uh, um, a beef cow is the standard point of an animal unit. So, um, should I write this down? So 1,000 cows in animal units is the equivalent of uh, 2,500 hogs, or 125,000 broiler chickens. Mm -hmm. So that's how they they Shiza. they do. So uh, so concentrate. So the factory farms are actually all the the capos, So a, a thousand animal units and above. Um, with chickens, the biggest of the the factory farms in there. I mean, literally have millions and millions of chickens. Um, and just to give you an example, in 2015. Um, 9.2 billion animals were slaughtered in the United States for food. And most of that was chicken, because yeah. that's the meat we primarily eat. But if you think about that, 9.2 billion animals that we kill for food. Uh, and then if you look at it relative to dogs and cats, in the, the total number of animals we have in our country, dogs and cats are literally the 1% of animals in our country. So it's interesting, too, the correlation of, you know, the 1% of animals to the 99% of animals related to human beings, right? Like the 1% of the rich and the 99%, which is the rest of us. 
um, how it reflects in the animal world and in the human world. So we have these we have these factory farm systems, and the regulations around them are very minimal. Like they're not so. So, for example, in North Carolina, so you'll have, a, you know, a factory farm with. Quite, I mean, just imagine three thousand pigs that they like just in this one, and that that's considered a small one. Okay, three thousand pigs. The average um, in the in the U.S. the average kill rate of uh, um, of hogs in factory farms is about eleven 1, hundred a week. So, um, oh no, it's 1,100, yeah, 1,100 a week, I think, yeah. So it's really high. When you think about, like, that's how many pigs they're killing. Um, and so to house that many animals, you know, they got to poop, right? They got to, <laughs> and then where does it all go? So they have these systems within the, the where they're housed, because with pigs, they don't leave. So they they don't roam around. They're they're housed in these crates. They're called gestation crates, and they're metal crates. And they literally stand in these metal things their entire life, practically their entire life, which is only six months. Where their natural life would be ten to fifteen years, they are they are raised wow. to to slaughter weight uh, in six months, and literally in these these metal cages. But all the manure that they're and all they're doing all day is eating and pooping. And then they go out to these manure lagoons at the, outside of the warehouses where these pigs are. And, and most of them, a lot of them are the size of a football field. And some of these larger hog farms will have like multiple manure lagoons with their, with their farm. So um, if you go to Google and, and do, you know, look for aerial shots of North Carolina hog farms, you will see... Not only the, the, the manure lagoons, you will see how close they are. They're clustered together. Mm -hmm. So you will, you could see like 10 football fields in one small area of just literally crap lagoons. Mm -hmm. Now, what's even more frightening than this is that, so, okay, so, you know, they get heavy rain and floods too, right? So when those manure, manure lagoons start to flood or get high, one of the things they do to help with the drainage is they will literally take the liquid from the lagoon, load them up in the airplanes, and fly over the all over the air and just disperse the water. Wow! Like and it goes everywhere. Like so, it's literally like crap rain, like going over. And a lot of these hog farms are are built near to where people live, and so like. The, the rates of cancer and other diseases in these areas is very high. So if you watch the movie What the Health, towards the end, there's like five minutes in What the Health, where they went to North Carolina and interviewed some of the people there. And it, I tell people that in that movie, the most impactful part, at least to me, was listening to those people talk about their lives. And this young grandmother talking about the generations of people and her loved ones that have died and then, and then, like one of the farmers, he likes to spray on Sundays. So they literally come home from church, and the guy is spraying his crap all over the place. And and they're like, you know, just like literally, we've come from church, and you're you're spraying crap all over the place. And they're getting sick, and they're they're dying. And a lot of this we don't hear on the news. And a lot of the reason is because these communities are they're poor communities. They don't have money. They don't have representation. 
the, 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 the hog owners there don't care about them, and then the politicians are bought out by these large conglom conglomerations that donate tons of money to them, so they just kind of sweep it under the rug until there's some majorly disastrous thing that happens. So there's a lot of this going on. And so another example is, um, I don't know if you guys have heard this, the largest dead zone in the ocean, dead zone in the world is in the Gulf of Mexico at the end of the Mississippi River. It is the size, about it's about the size of the state of New Jersey. So... It's this, and the main cause of this dead zone is runoff from the Mississippi, primarily from agriculture. That is a lot of the hog farms in the, in the states along the Mississippi River, along with all the GMO crops, soy, corn, and alfalfa that they grow to feed all of these like cows and pigs. But at the top of the Mississippi River, um, there's a lot of the top the top hog farms. Like farming states are up there at the at the top of the Mississippi, and then as you get lower, um, you know there, there's like more beef down there. But there's a lot. It's primarily hogs, but then a lot of GMO corn and soy, and then alfalfa is grown primarily for dairy cows. So that's that's what the and Monsanto is the leading producer of GMO alfalfa for dairy dairy cows. Um, and then when you look at like these animals and what they're eating, um, their diet is primarily GMO corn, soy, alfalfa, and synthetic amino acids, which are given to them to help in their rapid growth. So like with chickens, chickens, broiler chickens, the, their lifespan is six weeks. So they're alive, they're from chick to slaughter in 42 days. And a lot of them grow so big that their legs break, like they get sores, they're like dragging themselves to get food, like they're they're just like, you know, broke these broken animals, um, all for profit, because the way, if you look at it as like, we gotta, you know, maximize our profit, we have to find ways to make these animals grow faster, mm -hmm. so we can produce more pounds of chicken, you know, to, to you know, to, to put out there. And then on average, the average American eats 212 pounds of meat per year. We are the largest meat eaters on the planet. Real quick question for you. So you're saying it's six weeks from you know from birth until maturation, right? So well, slaughter. Oh, uh, slaughter. 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 Okay. <laughs> so, so to put it in perspective. What would the average natural life expectancy to be to go to full maturation? So, like, chickens can live like ten years. Yeah. So, like, 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 like to, but full growth. So, full growth would be. Um, yeah, that I that that I don't know. Probably like a year or two. Like, I, I mean, I'm not sure, but it's not six weeks. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. so you're, you're, we're literally eating babies. Right. Mm. So I have a question for you. Uh, in terms of the spraying that goes on, is there any regulation from the state or the government that says where you can't spray, or could we be getting North Carolina farm sprayed over Ohio? How does that work? Do you do you know any? Yes, yeah, so with the regulation, it's very very minimal. But mm -hmm. but even more important than regulation is monitoring. So do we have agents from the EPA even coming out? So in the factory farm system, 
Um, right now, the Trump administration is trying to privatize the inspectors now. So instead of having EPA inspectors, they're now wanting to source it out and privatize that. So another example with the hogs is that they want to eliminate EPA inspectors and bring in private companies to monitor, you know, or have the companies self-monitor themselves. Which again, <laughs> self-monitor, right? Exactly, yeah. right? You're like, okay, right. And but the other big thing is, so part of this is too, they want to eliminate. So in the Obama era, we had these regulations on kill kill rate. So there's only a certain amount of animals you can kill within an hour. So they want to eliminate that so they can kill more animals in a shorter, you know, in a shorter period of time. Um, but along with that, they have not attached worker safety regulations because one of the highest, like, one of the, the occupations with the highest levels of injuries and amputations are farm factory farm workers. So they, they're working with these hogs with these big blades that are, you know, because the first thing they do is chop off their heads. And they use these big blades to do that. So they literally have to push through, like, these animals real quick to get through these blades. And a lot of them lose fingers. They lose arms. They, you know, they lose limbs. I mean, it's really frightening. And so um, there's no regulation with that. Wow. Yeah, so there's a lot of these <laughs> things. Because what happens is... Um, it's one of those, you know, um, yeah, we kind of know it's a problem, but we're not going to talk about it. And they're in these, again, most of these factory farms are in poor, poor red states. Yeah. And their politicians take lots of campaign money. Sure. And they just kind of like, well, this is kind of the bottom of the list of our priorities because we have to worry about tax cut rates and the health care bill and the war, and military and stuff, and yeah, we're just gonna, you know, not think about that, but now it's Can I ask you a question on that, interrupt you right quick? Yeah. Uh, OSHA is the governing body, I thought, in the United States as far as protection of workers' rights and health and safety. Um, that's not standard well, for... No, OSHA, OSHA's Ohio. Really, that's just strict, but okay, but... Yeah. When you go to a different state, even though it might not be OSHA, it would be whatever for that state. But there's 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 yeah. no guarantee it's it's every state though, because it's Ohio Safety and Health. Right, right, yeah. okay. So there's no guarantee of that. It mm. our state has that. Yeah, so there's <laughs> oh there's man, no, that's heavy. There's no, there's no federal, like there's very minimal federal regulation. So here's another great example. So. The, the federal, um, for, for factory farm animals, there's actually only two federal laws that cover them. One is the transportation law, which says that um, all animals cannot be in a, in a semi-truck or transport more than 28 hours. So you gotta get, you got to move them within 28 hours. And then the second law is the federal humane slaughter law, which covers... Um, most it covers all the animals we eat except for poultry. So all the chicken, turkeys, hens, like so all, all those grotesque videos you see of how they're slaughtering chickens. There's no federal regulation, so that's why these guys have no problem showing these videos because it's all legal, mm. unless unless their state has a specific law covering that. There's there's and again in some of these poor red states they have nearly no regulation whatsoever. Wow. Uh, in in terms of uh, 
Monsanto, they have a lot of overlap with the military. They have a history with the military that goes back to Vietnam mm-hmm. uh, in regards, yeah, with Agent Orange. So they're, uh, they're, they have been a very powerful company for a long time. So it's not just the food industry. I mean, there's, there's ties to military. So it runs very, very deep. And like she says, it's, it's really like an octopus. That's a great analogy. They have so many tentacles everywhere. Yeah. But to this day, Vietnam is still plagued because of what has happened uh, back then. Wow. Through, it's, via it's, all, it's, all, it's all about profit. Like I was having this discussion um, yesterday with some, some friends. One of my friends is uh, he's running for governor of California for the Green Party. Nice. And we, yeah, we were just talking about like, well, what do you think is the main cause of like the dysfunction in the world and in our country? And, I just said it's it's not capitalism. We like to blame capitalism. Actually, what it is is greed, because we have like untethered like when you take capitalism and take it to the point that you're making profit at the expense of people, animal, and planet. That's just greed, and that's how we're operating. So part of this, like the need for regulation, is actually like part of regulating greed. So you're not killing the planet killing human beings, destroying everything in its path, just so a, a small handful of your, you and your shareholders can make a whole lot of money. And we have this, we're attached to this need for constant growth, right? Constant economic growth. But now look at what, look what we're doing to the planet, to human beings, to our environment. I mean, I mean our kids, you know, I mean, for, for the millennials and Gen Z who are now, you know, they're now 18 to 23 in this, you know, twenty <laughs> election, and they're fired up, right, with the gun thing, but now they're just ready to, like, you know, like for the March for Our Lives event, like 800,000 of them appeared at the White House. That is now the largest protest in American history at the White House. Hmm. So these kids... Yeah, these kids are fired up. So they're like, I'm ready to vote, and they're going to vote out everyone who's taken money from the NRA. And then they're going to look at everything related to that. And then you have the millennials who are now, like, so the top issue, the top political issue for millennials is climate change. Because they're looking at this going like, oh, we don't have 20 years. Or I I don't know if I should have kids, because what's the planet going to be like by the time, like, I'm ready? Because... I'm so broke now, I'm still living with my parents, so I'm trying to figure out what to do. So by the time I get to have kids, like, and then what, how are my kids going to live, you know? So, like, they're, they're actually more enlightened and aware of what's going on than, like, like our, you know, our generation is, you know, like, Gen X is a little bit more, but, like, the older generations. But, like, these kids are fired up, and they're seeing what's going on. In fact, the highest levels of vegetarianism right now and veganism that's growing rapidly is in the millennials and Gen Z because they see it as not just like I love animals. They're seeing all the injustice and the inequality and the climate change and and like they just loathe greed. So they're looking at this like I'm not giving you guys money. Like you're destroying everything. And so... You know, when you look at that from, like, the perspective of our, our younger generations, it's interesting to see how, how more aware they are of, like, the planet and stewardship, you know, than the elders in the tribe, right? Like, okay, what are the, what are the elders doing? 
right now. And then we have this administration right now that's just about profit at, at any cost without looking at like the whole the whole picture of things and what we're we're doing. I mean, we're mortgaging the future to pay for now, but what happens when it's time to collect? And like I said, we don't have 20, 50 years because the, 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 what's going to start happening is with, with, with global warming and that stuff and droughts and things like that, we, we, we will get to the point. And with GMOs, it's stripping all the minerals from our soil. So we're going to get to the point where we'll have all this land, but we can't grow anything on it. It will become like the deserts. So then we, 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 can't, we can't grow food. We're not going to have water to grow the crops. I mean, we're not going to have water for ourselves. And, you know, the, the next thing... We're fighting other countries over oil. The next big commodity we could have world wars over is water because mm -hmm. we're running out of water. And you look at the levels of, like, water used just to grow, like, and raise all these animals. I mean, one pound of beef requires, like, almost 1,800 gallons of water for one pound of beef. That's not the <laughs> whole crop. Right? Like, the... Right. the so like cows are grown to like their slaughter weight is 1,200 pounds. So after you get to carcass weight and usable meat weight, it's it's 490 pounds on average. Whoa, yeah. Of of, of beef, yeah. So, so again, you start looking at these values. You start looking at this and go again. Is this in alignment with my values and beliefs? So. <laughs> We barely even talked about how the animals are treated. Yeah, we're just yeah. talking about like this stuff. Yeah, right. So we're not even we're barely not even touching that. So then your brain starts thinking, well, what else is like, you know that that meme where all the mathematical things are going on. So you start thinking like, who's <laughs> this? And then what about that? And then it's like, you know, and then you see documentaries. I I I, I highly recommend that people watch like these two document like these documentaries, um, Cowspiracy which focuses more on climate change and the, the relationship between big money and agriculture um, and what the health, because um, besides the health part, they get into the social, political, economic mm -hmm. issues of the meat industry. And then um, Food Inc. is another good one. After I saw Food Inc., I stopped eating chicken. Because I, I, something in me was like, okay, I'm, I'm, that was 2010, and I've not eaten a chicken since then and then it just kind of like my, my, my meat consumption just kind of like reduced from that and um, like again I, I, I advocate again I, I'm a, about advocating like again alignment like are you living in alignment with your values mm -hmm. and um, for the health thing you know and I get it because um, we're so bombarded with you gotta get protein you need protein to be healthy <laughs> and you and then if you're working out, you need to eat 100 grams of protein a day. And the only way to get that, really, the best way is, like, through your meat. And then you have these diets, like paleo and keto, that become very popular. And then they, they kind of, like, you know, lentils and grains are bad because they make you fat or whatever, right? And it's, like, focus on meat and vegetables mm -hmm. and some nuts, but not too many nuts because there's too much fat. And it's not looking at, like, everything outside of macronutrients. Like, there's the, 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 the thing about our food now is we can't just think about macronutrients anymore. We have to look at, uh, we have to have a holistic look and look at what we're contributing economically, environmentally, and even spiritually. Mm. Is there, 
Is there anything not tainted by GMO right now? Um, yes. Your local small organic farmers. Okay. So that's one of the best way. Or like in cities, there's now this growth of urban farmers. Mm -hmm. So people are trying to figure out like how to how to grow food in urban areas. Like one cool thing in London, you know, all the underground tunnels that they used to use for World War II, mm -hmm. they're now converting them into these underground urban farms. Okay. And when you, when you do that, you don't need pesticides, you don't need synthetic fertilizers, right? You don't need any of that stuff. So it is technically these plants are literally like pure, just plants and soil, right? Growing underneath there. And then, or like in New York City, they have a lot of rooftop gardens, and so they're utilizing their rooftops for gardening, which also helps with um, climate change because gardens capture carbon. Mm -hmm. So, and then if you're growing more trees, the trees help capture carbon, right? So, if you grow like apple trees or lemon trees, a lot of people like to grow lemon trees in their yards, right? Because it's easy to grow, and then you get tons of lemons, right, when it's in season. But there's a lot of things that. Um, you know, we can do that can help climate change uh, in the environment. And some of those th very simple things is um, eat locally, um, eat seasonally. So, because one of the things is um, when we, not all foods are in season, so even though we like them, they have to be shipped in from other countries. Primarily, we get a lot of produce from Mexico and South America. So that, like, has got to go on a plane or a big boat to get over here, right? So... Seasonally is another one. Eat organically as much as possible. And shop from your local farmers and shop the farmers markets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then you actually get to meet your farmers, you support your local economy, and, and they can and then if you're curious about how they grow, they'll tell you and a lot of farms actually have a public a public day where they open up like once or twice a year and they invite the community, like, hey, come over to our farm. And you can see, and you can, you can even pick food and stuff, and it's a great way to, like, see how your food is grown, you know. So that those are, like, small, simple things that you can do. Um, mm -hmm. And I know in o Ohio, you guys are a big agricultural state. Yeah. Big um, time. Yeah, and you have farmer's market. And now it's spring, right? So now is, like, the best time. Well, it's been winter up until this morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Still threatening, too. Yeah, we don't, we don't know if that's going to stick. Yeah, so I, I barely buy my produce at the store at the grocery store anymore. I buy them from farmer's markets. You, you can also find cool things, yeah. right, that you can yeah. find in the grocery store. Um, and then you actually meet these far and you're ha you know, helping these small family businesses. Right, which feels much better than supporting, you know, the big conglomerations or you know Monsanto, because again, literally, like, like all the processed foods you eat and, and any of the cheap meat you eat, you're you're putting money into their pocket. Right. Yeah. 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 I remember a time, probably back in, jeez, oh, 80, 88, 89, where um, with school we went on a field trip, and. I was all psyched because our family didn't eat fast food much. You know, we were all about, you know, eating very wholesome, going to the, quote, health food store. Um, ah. And I was like, oh, we're going on this field trip and we're going to this certain, you know, chain restaurant that sells Mexican pizzas. And um, I was all about having a Mexican pizza. And I sat down to eat this thing and I was like, ew, this is disgusting. I told my dad about it. I was like, something... Something tastes different. Just something tastes different about the, the shell of it. It's just not the way that it used to be. And 
he had said, well, you know, it's it's that genetically modified stuff now. They're they're coming about where they're, you know, messing with the uh, with the seeds and you know, oh, I'll explain it to you and getting to, you know, the core of what GMO is. It's it's really kind of scary and what it you know does for these farmers where they're not able to utilize you know, next year's crop, they, they have to depend solely on, you know, getting their, getting their seeds for the next year and, um, or, you know, or in contract with them and stuff. But I, I could tell back when I, when I was under the age of 10, you know, something was different and, and I didn't like it. And I started to listen more to my father about what he was telling me about, oh, well, you know, here, take this swig of, um, cod liver oil and things like that you know <laughs> he was so, always giving me you know nutritious stuff and um we have always you know went in that direction and my dad uh has always looked out for you know our family or here you know give you something this some of this you know wholesome goodness from from the yeah. health food store and i i could just really tell the difference even when i was when i was little <laughs> Yeah, you know, here's an interesting, th so um, so one quick factoid is, you know, a lot of people don't realize that the farmers have to pay Monsanto licensing fees mm -hmm. to use their seed mm -hmm. because they're patented. <laughs> so in their contract, wow. like, you know, music and stuff like that, so they have to pay licensing fees along with buying this, and, and then you have to buy the seeds and pesticides together. They're bundled because that's how they're designed. Yep. But yep. Like, a lot of people are like, so this is where like farmers get trapped because they're like, I gotta pay these licensing fees, and then you have to use it in a certain period of time. You can't save your seeds because if you're caught saving seeds and trying to, you know, move it into the next season, they can fine you. They will sue that's in the you. Contract too. Yeah. yeah. So it's so now with this Bear Monsanto merger happening, the farmers hate it because imagine one company controls one fourth. So where, where are they going to get seeds? And now, you know, because they're so ingrained into this business, they have no out. And so it's really frightening. But, you know, the narrative around GMOs has is always been around it's safe. Look at all the studies. It's safe. When the narrative should be, but does it create health? Does it create healthiness in the body? Because there's not one study that shows that GMOs create healthiness in the body. There's a lot of foods that are safe, like um, high fructose corn syrup is safe. <laughs> well, won't, won't kill you. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you're not going to find one doctor that's going to recommend, hey, go eat all the high fructose corn syrup you want, because, <laughs> right? So that's, the narrative should really about, like, be eating around, you know, food should be about eating food that creates health in your body. And health in your life, not whether it's safe or not, right. because there's a lot of foods that are safe that cause a plethora. It, I mean, you might not get cancer or tumors, but there's a plethora of other health issues that that you can get. So, right. you know, and then there's the pesticides associated with these GMOs, right? It's just not the food itself; it's the level of glyphosate. If we just look at that one, mm -hmm. you know, pesticide in particular, um, and like. Like apples, a typical apple, a conventional apple will have like over 20 pesticides sprayed on it in its life before it gets to the grocery store. Wow. That's nuts. I mean, 20. Yeah. why do you need 20 pesticides on an apple 
Like, I mean, I can see maybe five. I mean, again, I'm not a farmer, but I mean, you know, like the logic, the thinking starts to, you know, you're like, like, why do you need over 20? You know, so the, like, the environmental working group has this great list that they put out every year, which is the dirty dozen. Like, these are the most, they got, like, they're just literally, like, drowned in pesticides. And then they have a list of, like, the okay ones where, like, there's minimal pesticides on them, so buy them conventionally. Yeah, grapes are really bad, aren't they? What's that? Grapes are usually on that dirty dozen list. Yeah, grapes, strawberries, yeah. apples. My like, wife always yells at me because I just don't wash them. I just eat them. I don't either. So I'm probably just going <laughs> to get cancer. Yeah. like so, so. But those are the ones like you buy You buy organic from your local farmer, and you can ask them, like, what kind of pesticides do you use? So with organic farmers, they don't use synthetic pes pesticides. That's the big difference that people – because, you know, you hear this argument, well, organic farmers use pesticides – and yes, some of them do, but they're not synthetic pesticides, right? Mm -hmm. They're not glyphosate. So you don't you don't see there's a differentiate, especially when they have the organic if they're farming under the or, USDA or organic standards. Herbicides. Um, you know. yeah. So again, like the narrative we should be focusing on, and that our whole food system is not based on nutrition; it's based on profit. That's why we have all these problems. Yeah. Right. Glyphosate, which is also a weed killer, right? Yes. <laughs> nice. You know, Roundup that you spray right. your, yeah. your lawn. And so I'm, I'm eating that. Mouthwash. <laughs> right. Eat my just grape. mouthwash. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, question, actually, question for Juice. Shoot. Actually, and I said I was going to ask this. I almost asked you this before the podcast today. Okay. But I said I was going to save it for now. Oh, please. Oh, so uh, we are Bible over brews. Yes. And uh, Stephanie's got this amazing message and communicating this you know, awesome piece of this. Absolutely. Um, how are we circle this around? That was my question for you earlier that I said I'd save. How, how are we circle this around with the Bible? Very good. Well, it's because it comes down to Christian stewardship, right? So, if you go back to the the, the New Testament or the Old Testament, rather, go back to Genesis, and Adam was given what many people say is is rulership over the planet. But when you actually break it down in the of Hebrew, of course, they gave the man the leadership <laughs> role. Okay, Adam and Eve. Uh, <laughs> when you actually break it down in, into the into the Hebrew, it's actually caretaker. So he was the caretaker of the planet. And so it's it's our duty to become caretakers of all creation. To make sure that we can help uh, not only protect it, but help it to be to be vibrant and grow. So why is it then okay and then not I'm going to go mildly political here, but um, you know, you know, Stephanie had mentioned it, and I noticed as well because I, I am also um, I, politically speaking, I like to find out what um, you know what um, sorry politicians are what their thoughts are on environment and global warming and mm -hmm. the environment. And I thought she hit the nail on the head. It seems like all the decisions that are made right now are leaning towards the side of greed rather than protecting our planet. So why is it you know the uh, evangelicals and the strong Christian base are got such a hard on for Trump right now? Well, when I, that when that's clearly I think, and greed is a deadly sin too, ain't it? Really? It is, yeah, it is right. Yeah. So well, why is it why is seven. it that they're going that way when clearly, um, you know, he's going that direction with the EPA well, and other I regulations? Think, I think you have to differentiate because yes, there are a lot of evangelicals that are backing him. Okay, but they always if, talk about it, yeah. right. But if you look at your traditional Christians, okay, your your Roman Catholics, your Orthodox, your Byzantines. They're actually on the other side of it. 
Um, yeah, it's, I mean, uh, over on the Orthodox side, you have the Green Patriarch who was campaigning for all these massive uh, campaign, uh, all these massive changes to help the environment. Um, Pope Francis brought about the encyclical, the encyclical to try to help all of the Roman, and Roman Catholics by a large margin are the largest Christian group, are trying to move them in order to help protect the environment, help it grow. So to answer so. your question too, in a nutshell, though, because you said you didn't want to get too political, but the answer is really political. Yeah, it is. So I mean, that's the thing. Our food is political now. You you can't talk about food and not get into politics. Like yeah. it's just like it, it, and moral, right? It like meat has become a moral issue now. Yeah. Whether whether we like it or not, it is. And so that's why I, I try to stay away from like the moral argument because the vegans get into that really good. Mm -hmm. I, I talk about alignment. Like you as an individual, are you living in alignment with your values? And if there's some areas that are, you're, it's not, but like for your health and economic issues, you have to, then then own it. And like, you know, I realize it's going on, but then, I, you know, I have these health issues and stuff. So I, I do participate in the system. I contribute. But for right now, given my my health and economic issues, this this is where I have to. And again, a lot of these people do it not because of choice, but because they have to. Because the level of income inequality in our country is is not is ridiculous now. So it's and then we have the the food deserts, right? So that's another area where there's a lot of parts of our country that that literally have no fresh produce, and we get almost like 35. 30 to 40 percent of our fresh produce comes just from Mexico. Yeah. Like just from just from down there. So when Trump was threatening the tariffs, <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, California grows like 70 percent of the food in our country just if we were by ourselves. But that doesn't include like a lot of the fresh, like basic fresh vegetables and, and fruits that mostly come from Mexico. Or, or like the over, like the overload with like avocados. California cannot grow enough avocados to feed like, you know, to supply Chipotle and all the Mexican restaurants. <laughs> right. Mm. Right? I mean, people love, and then Super Bowl, right? I mean, people love their guacamole. And then we look at almonds and stuff like that. But I mean, just like basic produce, most of that comes from Mexico. So if we get into trade wars with Mexico, we're not going to have fresh fruits and vegetables because they, they can threaten. So that's what China is doing right now when, you know, Trump is doing this tariff war with them. So China didn't go big. They went strategic and went after the, the Trump red states. So they went first after pork. Then they went for like wine, fresh fruits. Mm -hmm. And then like, you know, Trump was like, oh, I'm going to do this again. And then, then they were like, and then the soybean people were getting nervous. And then he like you know went at him again, and then China was like, "All right, now we're doing soy, and we're gonna slap 25% tariffs on soy." And then he you know did another thing, and then they're like, "All right, now we're gonna do 179% on sorghum." Hmm. So China is the largest customer of sorghum, and again, who who are the largest producers of sorghum in our country? They're red states. So uh, imagine 179% tariff. I'm like, where did you come up with that number? And <laughs> that basically means we're not buying sorghum from you anymore. Yeah. It is. They all, they all throw tantrums. <laughs> yeah, but 
but I mean, can you imagine like twenty five percent on on pork? Like twenty. I mean, in fact, I looked it up. Um, Ohio is the tenth largest producer of pork in the United States. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and you guys are also seventh, wow. the seventh largest in soy, and the tenth largest in corn. Mm. Um, but soy represents twenty two percent of your total agricultural um, revenue in your state. I will, so that's a I, quarter. I, that's I, a lot. I will point out that the Cleveland Tofu Company uses one hundred percent organic soy. Oh boy! <laughs> Way to go, Cleveland! Way to go, Cleveland <laughs> Tofu. <laughs> oh, so here's another interesting. I mean, again, since you guys live in Ohio, I pulled some data. Um, oh boy! Don't make us feel too no, bad. No, please. the Browns didn't win a game last year. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to like, you know, get some perspective. So Tyson yeah. is the largest meat packer in the United States. Hmm. So, um, on average, for cows. Um, their facilities can slaughter 125 to 175,000 cows in a week. Okay? So the population of Dayton, Ohio is 140,000. Mm-hmm. So Tyson could slaughter the entire city of Dayton in a week. Mm. If you guys were cows. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wow. Conceptualize that. Like, yeah. What? And that's right. one week. So and then that's, you multiply that by fifty-two, right? So you take the city of Dayton, Ohio, which is that's a pretty that's one hundred forty thousand is a lot of people. Yeah. Right. So you 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 go through that in a week times fifty-two. So when you start looking at it in terms of like, well, what if these cows were human beings, right? Again, like the math calculations start going off in your brain. You're like, okay. So then I ask, is that in alignment with your values? Are you okay? Eating that kind of you know meat that's raised and slaughtered in that manner. Uh, only yeah. if you're okay with like you know soil and green. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean. Yeah. I will say this: that the whole world isn't uh, uh, exactly smitten with the U.S. and our GMOs. I mean, Russia has banned Im- GMO imports to their yeah, country. That's true. Mm-hmm. That should be a huge yeah. red flag for us. But it's really not. I mean, we are, don't. We care about money. Yes. Like if, yeah. if if it's like again, it goes back to greed, which again, isn't that one of the Ten Commandments? Or one of the Seven Deadly Sins. Seven Deadly Sins. <laughs> I mean I'm so like, going. Wait a like read that in a book. I mean going back to our like Christian values, I'm like, okay, I this is what I this is what I would like, you know, I mean personally, like Aaron and I talked about this, so like in the mind of a uh, evangelical Christian like how how do they reconcile like what's going on in reality and then your values that you that you go by in the bible like it it's it's a huge disjoint it's not even like a little it's like this it's it's yeah. easy actually i mean i could tell you cuz whenever i eat all we do is just we pray over our food <laughs> and then it's all fine <laughs> So okay. if so that answers your question, going to confession, like it's all good now. If I go to a Chinese buffet and everything in the world is in front of me, all I have to do is pray for it, <laughs> and then everything is fine. It goes in my body, and whatever comes out, whatever other process, I don't even think about how it got there, where it came from, who's it, you know, is You're it affecting right. anyone? Are there people who are employed by this? None of that matters because I, I prayed <laughs> oh. for it. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Does that help? That hurts me. Cool. <laughs> but he's being honest. Oh, it is. He is. So, and uh, I mean, I, I think, uh, I mean, I, I admit my selfishness. 
I'm being selfish when I'm eating meat. I know that. So, like, I know when she's talking about, you know, taking a look in the mirror and, you know, owning up to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I started off telling you guys I was a vegetarian for, you know, over a year. And then um, eventually just gave in and I was kind of just bored of the options. I wasn't being creative. But, again, it was just selfishness and laziness. And so when I have these conversations – and I was going to use this as a catalyst today. So I'm hoping <laughs> to, like, maybe, you know, make that jump again. But, yeah, when I eat meat and when I have these conversations, I just – yeah, just true selfishness. I, I'm aware of what's going on, and uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm being selfish, so I don't know. Hopefully, maybe today will be the day. Hopefully, it's this conversation that will help me again. We forgive yeah, you, Yeah, then you get to the point where, like, well, how much of that can I stand, mm. right? Like, how, how you know, and then, I th- you know, and I tell people to process. Like, I'm not vegan, now, so I don't eat I don't eat animal flesh anymore, but I still eat patisse, which is our Filipino fish sauce, because the Filipino meat, I just I can't give it up yet, because it's cultural. <laughs> family events and I'm like I realize a bunch of little fish have to die and ferment so I can have my fish sauce but you know I mean it took me seven years to get here and so I tell people I I know a lot of like I support the vegan movement but for a lot of people it's not realistic to just uh, you know pun intended go cold turkey and just cut out all the (laughs) like that that is a way too much to ask because it's not just dietary Mm-hmm. It's it's social, it's cultural, and then yeah. it's habit. Like mm-hmm. you're used to eating this way, and you need to give your body time to transition. It's too much of a shock. It's stressful mm-hmm. if you just do a cold turkey. Yeah, yeah, and then you have to learn how to cook and shop differently. Like it's a process. So I tell people, like, okay, how many animals do you eat now? For most people, it's about three to five on average a day. I go, okay. Start eliminating one. Like with me, I started with chicken. So no more chicken. But I still had the other animals. And then after a while, then it's like, okay, I'm not like, okay, pork. I don't really eat pork except bacon occasionally. But, you know, I'm not going to miss that. So, you know, now now I've eliminated, you know, um, the, the pig. And then, like, for me, I'm, I'm allergic to dairy and eggs. That's kind of how it started, too. So even with that, it was a process because I was addicted to cheese. Like, cheese is delicious. And so I, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard. And there are actually properties in cheese that make us addicted to it. So it's not it's not an easy thing to, again, go cold turkey on the cheese. So give yourself time. But the more you eat plants and, like, health, like, and I, I always emphasize eat a whole foods plant-based diet. Because vegan, you can eat vegan a whole day and not eat one vegetable or fruit. It's true. You can eat a bunch of junk food that technically has no animal products, but none of it is healthy for you, mm. right? None of it creates health in the body. I guess so, that's true. Yeah. You can be a GMO vegan. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You can pasta. Yeah. Those corn syrup is vegan. MSG is <laughs> right. vegan. Right. Right? So, like, you're eating a bunch of French fries and beer are vegan. Like, if you're just <laughs> hey, <bad>. mm. <laughs> I get too hasty. <laughs> Yeah, it's not healthy, right? But the more whole foods you eat, then your body starts getting used to that. And then you start craving that, yeah. right? But you give your body time. That's why I, I like I my you know, my site is called the Flexi Twenty One. So it's a twenty one day flexitarian challenge where there's like five options. You the first option is the easiest one. For three weeks, just do meatless Monday. So it's just three days in twenty one days. You just do meatless Monday. The next option is just cut out beef and lamb, the, the, the two animals that have the biggest carbon footprint um, of all the animals. So just no beef or lamb for 30 days. 
uh, or 21 days. And then the next option is eat um, just eat pescatarian. So no land animals, but just eat seafood. Uh, and then um, then there's oh cut out dairy cut out dairy and eggs. So you can eat meat, but you're you've cut out dairy and eggs. And then the last one is like go full on vegan for 21 days, right? Mm -hmm. So you have these this progression, and then you're like okay I did meatless Monday. Now we'll do the next one. I'll just cut. Right, so you 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 can go through like five five cycles of twenty one days, but you you're giving your yourself your body time to train to transition, and then you're telling people, hey, you know, I'm doing this challenge. Everybody likes doing challenges because they're fun, yeah. and twenty days twenty one days is short. It's like I can do that for like three weeks, and then you and then you just get used to it, and like your body starts craving. Like my body craves greens now. If I go more than 30 hours without something green, I get the shakes. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> I'm not something green, right? Mm -hmm. and, and all the stuff that I used, like I used to drink two cans of Diet Coke every day. <laughs> and, and now I, I can't even, I'm like, the idea of drinking Diet Coke is just like, no way. Or even fast food. I used mm -hmm. to eat fast food like every week. And now the idea is just, I can't, like, because my body is like, what are you doing? You've been doing this for so long. Yeah. Um, and I think when people look at it as like, you know, transition, like start where you can and then do the best that you can. Because again, I get it too. There's a lot, there's, there's availability, there's economics, and then there's just your habits. Like how much of your habit, uh, are you willing to change, you know? And so it's easier to do it over time, uh, and then practice compassion with yourself, right? This is a process. It's not... I mean, you know, and again, that's where I differ from the vegans when they're like, you know, the animals, you got to do it now. And I'm like, okay, I mean, I get that. But then it, it, it is, for a lot of people, it's hard. And I acknowledge that. Like, it's hard. It is not easy. And it's a long process. Like, it took me seven years to get to this point. And even then, like... Is there any kind of issues or anything? And I'm just asking blatantly because I don't know. But like, I don't know. Thinking like trout farms and like fisheries and stuff Ooh, like that. Is there question. any issues with that or anything? Good question. Yes. So we're on. So now, now we're moving on to the factory farms in seafood. Yeah. Let's go. Or do you want to drink this beer first? We want to do this first. Join us in part two for the rest of the conversation.